Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today in our continuing Outstanding Women in Hockey series. We are bringing on the head coach at University of Minnesota, Duluth. And also, for the past two years, she has been the Team USA under-18 coach, Maura Crowell. And what a career she has had in the coaching ranks. She actually played her college hockey at Colgate University, started her coaching career at a prep school, St. Mark's, in the Boston area. Then she went from there to Connecticut College, to UMass Boston, to Harvard University, and then she ended up as the head coach of University of Minnesota Duluth, and she has had an incredible career there. Uh, she was the 2016-2017 Women's Division One Coach of the Year after orchestrating the biggest turnaround in school history. Uh, she also uh, last year won the gold medal with Team USA at the U18 Championships as well. So what an awesome conversation this was with Mora. But before we do get over to her, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Thanks. What's up today, man? Not much, brother. Beautiful Saturday here in St. Louis. Excited to be uh, podcasting with you. And I think I'm taking motorcycle lessons later today. So pretty excited about that also. Wow. Actually, I can kind of see you as a motorcycle kind of guy. Yeah. I always, always wanted a Harley. <laughs> hey, speaking of motor vehicles, we bought a boat. Boats and you bought a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to actually ask you this. So the first two things that you think of when you think of boats, what are they? Obviously stepbrothers. I stopped myself from saying it. We <laughs> listen, but stepbrothers, their, uh, uh, their, their company. Yeah. Uh, prestige worldwide. Prestige worldwide. And, um, and then also the other thing I think of is, uh, the lonely Island song. I'm on a boat. Those are the two <laughs> things. Like what that popped in my head immediately, both inappropriate to talk about on this podcast. I we think. know each other way too well because those are the exact two things <laughs> that I thought of when we first were starting to think about getting a boat. So yeah, we live on a lake. We actually took our little girls uh, out on the lake for the first time yesterday and uh, it was unreal. And if, I mean, we have a lot of parents that listen to this. Sometimes it's nice just to have something to do with your kids when they're young, <laughs> just an activity to get them out of the house or whatever, but getting the chance to have the boat, uh, getting out there. We we actually had dinner on the boat last night. So, um, very, very cool stuff. So motorcycle guy for you, boat guy for me, we're moving up in the world. We're, we're humming along. Well, I just figured like with all that COVID stuff and everything happened, I always said to myself when I was a little kid, I was like, there's things that I feel like you just need to learn to be a real man. And I personally don't know how to do like any of them that were on my list, like change your own oil. No idea how to do that. Change your own tire no idea how to do that. Pay people for that stuff. Uh, but I, but I want to learn those, uh, drive a stick shift. No, how to do that. Obviously I did that for seven years playing overseas, uh, ride a motorcycle. So I'm going to learn that today. Um, I don't know, a couple of them, but I just feel like there's like certain things you got to know to be like, ah, I'm a man, like, you know, and that's one of those things. Well, my dad had a motorcycle when I was younger. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I rode. Yeah. I think I rode on the back of it one time in your old neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. My mom uh, 
she was like not happy about it, but he got it as we know. I don't know if my dad's going to listen to this, but talk about a midlife crisis. Wow. <laughs> my dad had one too. My dad had yeah. one too. Well, everybody I, says it's like therapy. Like all these guys that, that I know that have Harleys, they're like, man, like you have a bad day or something or you're upset or whatever. You want to clear your head, go for like a half an hour ride. And there's like no feeling like it in the world. And so, you yeah. know, I, I'm excited to, to, to get, be able to do that. That's cool. Well, I'm glad we've talked about man things in this outstanding women in hockey series that we have going on here. So good job, men, yeah, <laughs> on this yeah. podcast by doing that. Uh, but shifting it over, we like this. This was an awesome podcast with Mora. And one of the things that we really wanted to do, because we get questions a lot. Uh, you know, obviously, I was a coach uh, for Division One hockey from the men's side. And we do. We get a lot of parents and, uh, and a lot of girls that ask us, hey, um, is it same on, on the women's side in terms of the college recruiting process? There's a lot of girls that are out there and families that are looking for more information about how to get to college hockey from a women's standpoint. So we wanted to bring someone on uh, that had great credibility. I mean, you look at her just a couple of years ago, she was the, the coach of the year for Division One women's hockey. Uh, she built incredible, incredible programs when she was at Harvard uh, as an assistant coach and an associate coach. Uh, and now she's obviously turned things around at Duluth and, and uh, she's also the UA team coach for team USA for the past two years. So what a resume and what an absolute awesome conversation, um, with Mora just about hockey, about leadership, about coaching. And, and, uh, I learned a ton out of this one. I think everybody, uh, whether you're a player or even a coach, I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. Yeah. I mean, to turn a program around like that, that fast, like obviously the leadership is, is extremely knowledgeable or they're able to get everyone to buy in. Like there's it's not like a secret sauce that, that everyone can do the same thing, but like there's these components where quality programs, quality coaching, quality teams, you hear the same kind of things, the same ideas. So it's just, I love hearing those things from those successful people who can create that culture. And, you know, she talked about that and it's just, it's good to hear those things because we need to keep infusing those into the youth hockey, like the good culture things instead of like the, the me, 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 my kid, my kid, like all of these good things are the culture. And we need to get more of that down in the lower levels in men's and women's hockey. Yeah. And that's another thing too. Like, I feel like a lot of the, the talk out there that we talk about hockey is like men's hockey and women's hockey. We're not really talking about it as the same thing, but one of the things that I've really realized, I've known it all along, but like, um, even emphasized even more as we're doing this outstanding women hockey series is like, we're talking to these just awesome women's players and coaches and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I'm talking to anybody that I would have been coaching with and against on the men's side too. And it's like hockey's hockey. And I think that's a really cool thing that I've continued to learn as we go through this process on this podcast and, and all the other content that we're doing during this week. And uh, there's so many qualified women's hockey players there's so many qualified women's hockey coaches. And, uh, you know, I absolutely love the fact that we're taking this opportunity to really elevate their game because it's a fantastic game as we talked about over these past week or so. And, uh, we encourage everybody, uh, to get more involved in it, uh, get more involved in leadership positions. If you're women for men, allow women to be a part of the, the leadership team that you have, whether it's in your organization or, you know, USA hockey, hockey Canada as a whole, all that kind of stuff. There's just, I feel like for so long, we've been kind of, I don't want to say we're not allowing them to be a part of it, but at the same time, like, I don't know if our culture as hockey, like as a whole has been so open to having 
women as a part of those leadership positions. And uh, this has been just a really, really cool experience for us getting to talk to so many, so many accomplished women as a part of our game. And, and we just encourage all the women that are listening to this and all the girls that are listening to this to, to get involved, get in leadership positions, because you're only going to make our game better. 100%. And do you remember when, uh, I mean, we were a little bit older, but Aunt Kim actually coached one of Vinny's teams, I believe it was. Um, and I remember thinking back then, like, why is Aunt Kim coaching? I won't lie. Like, I was ignorant. I was stupid. Thinking back, like, why is Aunt Kim coaching? And then, like, now I'm like, of course she should be coaching. Like, there, she knows a lot about hockey. But, like, there's no, even if she didn't, there is no difference between a dad that doesn't know about hockey and can't skate and a mom that doesn't know about hockey and can't skate. They're all there to help their kids, to to teach the things that are hockey, but also non-hockey, um, you know, like the being a good teammate and, you know, responsibility, showing up on time. Like the 100%, there should be more moms on the ice or in the locker room, like helping coach. Uh, and it, it should become a normal thing for both boys and girls hockey. Yeah, for sure. And and even for the women that, that haven't played and stuff, just like you're saying, like coaching hockey only a part of that is hockey knowledge and you can get hockey knowledge. You can go to coaching clinics. You can go to our website. I mean, there's so many resources out there to learn about it, but coaching is, is leadership and coaching is teaching, you know? So you can do a great job if you get a little bit more information in terms of like the hockey side of things. Um, and, and, and be a great coach because you can teach or you can lead and you can motivate and all that kind of stuff. And we need more of that in, uh, you know, in our game for sure. And not just our game in, in sports in general and business and, and everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, we always talk about perspective is powerful and the more people you have adding their, you know, their, their perspectives and adding their, uh, not circumstances, like their past experiences. It's yep. just going to make everyone's knowledge base bigger and you can make better decisions from that. So literally just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, with, with this series that we're doing here, if we can empower more women to, to get involved, I mean, I think that's a huge byproduct of what we're looking for to get out of this is number one, we want to elevate how great of a game it is and how many incredible women there are within the game, but also empower you women to, to get into it and, and get a part of leadership groups and start to coach and, and all that kind of stuff, because, uh, I think it could be a really good thing for sure. Let's get them on board. Get them on board, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Everybody on the board. On board. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I, I've had a I've had a blast with this series. Um, and, and it's not just the podcast that we've been doing with the hockey think tank. We've done some other really cool things. Uh, we had an Instagram live last week with, uh, Jess Campbell, uh, who runs JC power skating out in Western Canada. She's a Cornell grad and, uh, she's working with guys like Matt Barzal and Brent Seedbrook out in Kelowna right now. So she's, she just launched her company. She's done an amazing thing. That was a great conversation. Head over to my Instagram page. Uh, we did the 10 questions with Alyssa Gallardi that's on YouTube. Uh, that's out right now. And and uh, Gags, I mean, she does a lot of stuff with us in the hockey think tank to begin with. What a knowledgeable and passionate hockey person she is. Uh, we did a deep dive on YouTube as well uh, from a PWHPA game. 
where uh, is from the Dream Gap Tour, uh, is a Brianne Jenner play. Uh, she basically just absolutely kills it on the power play, brings it up. Just so many great, incredible teaching points and habits uh, from that game, and we're going to continue to do it. Uh, this week, we have Teresa Feaster coming on on Wednesday, who is the first woman ever to be named to a world jun- men's world junior hockey staff. Uh, so she's going to be the video coach for Team USA this year at the World Juniors. Uh, we're going to do uh, – so this is coming out on Monday. On Tuesday, we're doing an Instagram Live with Megan Bozak, uh, who is a Team USA Olympian. She's actually from my hometown in uh, Buffalo Grove, Illinois as well. Her dad used to ref like all of our games growing up. It's pretty funny. Um, but just so many really cool things that we're doing with uh, with the Hockey Think Tank and this Outstanding Women in Hockey series that's presented by the PWHPA, which is the Players Union for uh, these women who are standing up for equality and standing up for a better professional league uh, for the next generation. That's something we talk about a lot with all of these women. They're sacrificing so much of their own careers for the next generation of girls coming up. And uh, it's just such amazing things that we're doing. The fact that we get to talk to people like Maura and Teresa and, and last week, Jaina Hefford. I mean, oh my gosh, like that's, she's like the Gretzky or Lemieux of, of Canada in, in hockey. And what a great conversation we had with her, uh, Nicole Hensley, who we had on last week, what a conversation that was. And Jeff, you obviously know her really, really well working with her and training her. And, and that was incredible too. So just so many amazing women that we've been able to highlight and, uh, we're going to continue to do so as we go along our hockey think tank journey here and, and on this podcast. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as Jeff and I have, because uh, we've learned a lot. We formed some awesome relationships and we're very, very happy to be at the forefront of promoting the women's hockey game. Totally, man. Totally agree. And it was funny in the gym yesterday, uh, Nicole trains with a bunch of my junior and college players, uh, USHL and AHL and, uh, and D one guys. And one of them was like, God, I've never been scared of a girl in the gym before. And I've never trained with women before. But like, Nicole is an animal. Nicole was right there and she kind of hurt. And I, I, saw her <laughs> smi- I saw her smile out of the corner of her face. And I was like, yeah, bro, you don't win a gold medal by not being an animal. Like she's right there in there with the guys and she's outlifting a lot of them too. Like she is an animal. So uh, it's pretty cool for me to have that dynamic in the gym where she's training with elite level, you know, junior and college guys, and they totally accept her and they're in there. And so that's, that's been really fun for me to see, uh, this, this off season as well. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, we do want to thank the members at the PWHPA for sponsoring, uh, this, this outstanding women in hockey couple of weeks that we're doing, uh, again, we are behind them and, and hope to be any kind of help for them and their desire to, to create a sustainable professional women's league. Because as we've talked about, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that for little girls, they can only achieve what they see. And if they see women in a sustainable pro league, that's going to help girls that are growing up in hockey to, to dream even bigger. And so, again, thank you so much to the PWHPA for, for all that they're doing for the sport. We also want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor for this podcast. Go to gelstx.com. Uh, use the promo code think tank one word to get a discount on some awesome shooting and training aids. Uh, they do a bunch of different sports, golf, hockey, uh, lacrosse, uh, obviously we're a hockey podcast and, and, uh, really believe in, in their training ed- training aids that can really be a help in your basement, uh, or your garage right now. If you're still not able to get into the rink, Jeff uses them as he's training his players, even in the weight room. Uh, we want to thank train heroic, uh, Jeff's training application 
that uh, he has all of his uh, all of his stuff on. So anybody out there, go to Train Heroic app, and uh, you can download uh, Jeff's very very inexpensive. I don't want to say cheap because it's not cheap because it's an unreal product, but very inexpensive programs. We got four out right now. I have four phases that started, you know, when COVID originally hit, and then I have a hot mom's workout too for the ladies <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh so get you got five different programs to choose from and uh, uh and then obviously at the end of the day uh as we like to end all of our intros in because it's the most important want to thank all the listeners out here uh we so appreciate your support behind this podcast if you can help us to spread the positivity and spread the word to to your groups in the hockey world we would so much appreciate it uh if you could go to itunes or apple Podcasts and click a little rating for us to to give us some feedback feedback or shoot us a review that would certainly help us to get better which is what we always want to do and we encourage all of our players and coaches to do as well Uh, but also the more ratings and the more feedback there is the the more legit our podcast looks as people are searching for some hockey podcasts too Um, so we have a ton of ratings right now we have a ton of reviews and we thank you guys for those but if we can get even more uh, I think that would be such a fantastic thing so thank you thank you thank you to everybody who has tuned in you are going to absolutely love this podcast episode with an amazing coach in Maura Kroll. So without further ado, let's head it on over to Maura Kroll. We are so excited to have this episode of the podcast all the way from beautiful Duluth, Minnesota. She is the head coach of UMD Bulldogs women's team, Maura Kroll. Maura, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for that enthusiastic welcome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll get into we'll get into another few places that you coached at where I won't be so enthused, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get there in a little bit. But uh, speaking of the East Coast, you uh, you grew up in uh, in Massachusetts, uh, obviously a a big hockey hotbed there. And uh, you know what was it uh, about the game that led you to fall in love with it? Who were some of your influences growing up, and uh, how'd you fall in love with this great game of hockey? Yeah, sure. Um, my dad played in college. His brother played my older brother played my cousins played so definitely in the blood in the family and uh you know grew up going out to to the ponds as much as we could playing in all the rinks street hockey with you know old steel pucks that my (laughs) my dad would give me and and tell me that was going to strengthen my forearms uh moments like that really just you know honing the craft and and falling in love with it for the you know the the purity of the game outside, inside, wherever it was, uh, it was a family affair and started early and clearly it's still going. I love that. So you say it's a family affair. Would you call your family pretty competitive? Uh, I would. Yes. Yep. (laughs) So those, uh, those pawn games and everything, I know with Jeff and I being cousins and having a lot of, uh, having a lot of hockey players in our family. Usually there was somebody either bloodied or crying when we would be playing out in the ponds. Is that pretty similar out in Massachusetts for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, you might start with a couple people, you might show up with your dad and your brother and it just expands to a, to a, you know, all out game. And those are the best memories, just, you know, the organic sort of game that happens and, 
yeah, sure, they're cry, they're crying kids, but there are also a lot of smiling kids, and that's mostly what I remember, and that's what I try to keep in, uh, you know, the teams that I coach now today too, is the smiles, not so much the tears, but the smiles. <laughs> good plan. There were a, a lot of tears in the basements over Christmas where we were from. A lot of feet getting chopped by the uncles and the dads, and then Tolfer and I <laughs> started to kind of get better than them at hockey and take them over, probably at a pretty young age. We were probably like twelve. <laughs> Got better than them, but we had some battles, that's for sure. Oh my that's gosh. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That was uh there was always somebody bloody and always somebody crying. Every Thanksgiving, <laughs> me hockey tournament in the basement. And uh it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that's for sure. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, so you mentioned your dad played, your brother played, uncle played, all that kind of stuff. How was your dad with you when it came to hockey? Um, you know, was he very much encouraging you to play very much? Did he see a passion in you um and allowed you to kind of to to follow that passion as you were growing up and maybe watching him play or watching him coach and watching your brother and stuff like that as well? Yeah, he he was awesome. I mean, first of all, I started in figure skates like so many girls back in the the 80s and 90s, and I begged my parents for black skates. My brother had them, and I was dying to get into them. So <laughs> the passion was there very early on, and uh, they obviously let me transition. But my dad was great in terms of letting me play, letting me make mistakes, um, not not criticizing the mistakes, but talking about them too, because I, I think a lot of kids love that feedback. Kids want feedback. I hear that all the time. College kids can more feedback, more feedback. Well, I think some of it comes from those rides home with, with your mom or your dad or your brother or sister, whoever it might be, just constantly talking about your game. And I really look forward to those rides because it was, um, it was great insight and it was so specific about about me, but also about the game as a whole. So I really enjoyed my relationship with my dad. He was always at, I don't think he missed a college game. I went to Colgate up in New York. That was a five hour drive every weekend for him. Um, I don't think he missed a game and I always knew where to find him in the stands and I could read his face when I was (laughs) maybe not (laughs) playing my best or wanted more. Um, But, but I just love it. And, And to this day, I still call him, you know, after we play on the weekends and, and ask for his feedback, because I know it's going to be honest, um, which I really appreciate. And that's something I try to incorporate in my coaching. Um, but I also know it comes from a good place. And uh, he always has my best interest in mind, too. So that makes it that makes it, you know, um, helpful. And that's the kind of feedback I think everybody wants to get. Well, let me ask you two questions. Uh, I'll ask the first one where you're finishing there because Toph and I like to ask this question to most of all of our guests when we talk about their youth hockey. What were the kind of things that your parents said to you in the car after a game? Were they more of the attacking you or, or letting you talk or, you know, positives, negatives? What, what were the conversations like in your car? Yeah, they were awesome. Um, I think when I was younger, like little, little, I would ask, Hey, what did you think? You know, and, and want that feedback from, from him directly. And then as I got older, it was more of a conversation. Hey, you know, what'd you think of, of the power play tonight? I thought I, I did a pretty good job moving the puck around, maybe could have gotten to the net a little bit more. So it got more specific and more of a conversation back and forth as I got older. Um, and I think that's a, a 
a nice way to grow into it because I think communication and feedback should be two ways and you should be able to listen and absorb. But I think as you get older, it's important to be able to provide some communication there too and have your own insight as you grow and develop. Love that. That was, that was probably the best answer we got yet. No. <laughs> We've had some humdingers on here too. Facts. <laughs> We asked Marty St. Louis that question. I think yeah. on the water. <laughs> All right. What was part two, my man? Part two was, I feel like this is kind of like a hockey lore thing, but like, and it's something you touched on there. You said you did figure skating first. I feel like so many people in hockey, like you just hear these like whispers like, oh yeah, I was a figure skater first. That's why, that's why I'm such a good skater. Do you think that that helped you figure skating first? And if so, why or, or why not? hundred percent. Um, I spent an hour, my figure skating lessons were an hour, say a week, maybe, maybe two times a week, but I think probably one time a week. And we literally had the center circle for space. So it would be during public skating and I'd have a a one-on-one or my brother would be there too, one-on-two with a skating coach. And, you know, there's not a lot of room, but you're doing crossovers, you're doing good, lots of stops and starts. I think the ability to focus on the technique of skating and skating alone um, was was such a big piece of my foundation. I I think it was a huge piece, and I would recommend it. I think you know a lot of kids think it's you know maybe lame to figure skate, uh, and the technique ends up getting different as you get older. But in a lot of ways, it's great. So I, I enjoyed it, even though I wanted to get into those hockey skates as soon as I could. <laughs> that's awesome first of all sick adjective saying lame that was awesome um but, <laughs> i think it's lame um, but, right but i you know what that's so interesting i never put two and two together like i i was just thinking figure skating like when figure skaters there's a bunch of them on the whole sheet but yeah when i was growing up and i would do public skates the figure skaters were always confined to a smaller area and then mm-hmm. on, on top of that taking the stick out of the hands you're going to be more upright so you're probably mm-hmm. skating in a more balanced fashion versus yep. somebody who's holding a stick where you're, you know, you ask any player, hockey player, almost all of them are better crossing over one way as opposed to the other, because we're always leaning one way. And we have this object that's only sticking out of one side of our body. Figure True. skating, you're not doing that. Um, that makes a lot of sense. You just, you just blew yeah. my brain there. All right. All right. This is going well so far. Is, you're killing it. Let's keep going. <laughs> this is as excited I've seen Vex on a podcast in a long time, Maura. This is, awesome. this is good stuff. Absolutely. Well, uh, you, you mentioned that you played at Colgate. And, and I have to imagine that, uh, you know, I wanted to get into the college process because of some of the questions that we have and we get from a lot of parents of, of women's players is they want to have women's college coaches on here so they can understand the process of how to get to college hockey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it from the male side, um, but it's uh, a lot different. Or maybe it's not a lot different, but we'll ask you that in a bit. But uh, how, mm-hmm. how was your experience and how did you end up at, uh, at Colgate? Well, I went to prep school. I went to St. Mark's. Um, so I boarded there for four years because at the time that was um, the best way to go. And, and for a lot of kids still is boarding schools or prep schools to get exposure, to get good coaching, to play on a girls team. Um, I was playing for Assabet Valley prior to that, and it was uh, about an hour and 20 minutes each way. So um, 
that was huge in my, my development and um, exposure to college coaches from that, you know, that point forward. Um, in, in terms of the college process back in the day, I, I'm, I'm talking 1998, so a lot has changed. Back then, you'd get letters in your mailbox. <laughs> Everybody had a mailbox downstairs next to one another at prep school, and, uh, you know, that's where you'd get recruited through a letter. Uh, then it turned into phone calls, and there'd be one phone call in the hallway for 20 kids. So it'd be like, hey, Maura, you know, Colgate's on the phone, and then the phone <laughs> would be dangling on the wall. and. <laughs> Maybe you'd get to it in time. Maybe you wouldn't. Um, so it was definitely a different experience, but academics were super important to me and, and still are. Um, and so when I was able to, you know, get admitted to Colgate, find out I could play there, it, it was almost a no brainer at that point. Then my dad and I drove up there and it's probably one of the most beautiful campuses I've ever seen. And I was sold, you know, basically on the spot. So um, that was my process. Nowadays, the process is a, is a way different, um, a lot more intense. Um, and I don't know if you want to move into that just yet, but happy to if you want me to. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there for sure, because I, okay. I had a question for you. So Je- Jeff and I, you got your coaching start at Connecticut College um, and you got your master's there in the art of teaching, I read, which is very, very cool. <laughs> And Jeff and I talk a lot and we like to ask people a lot because coaching, we don't talk enough about teaching when it comes to coaching. We all, a lot, we talk about X's and O's and we talk about, you know, hockey and systems and structure and player development and all this kind of stuff. But literally your masters, the art of teaching, that is such a big piece of being able to be a really, really good coach. So I wanted to ask you, like, what did you learn through that master's program that you took there at Connecticut college that, uh, that you can impart on some of us coaches that we can use in, in our coaching today? Yeah, it was, um, an unbelievable opportunity, first of all, to be able to get my master's when I was down there and, yeah, it's an MAT, Master's in the Art of Teaching, um, which is so specific, but turned out to be perfect for, for my career path that I wasn't sure, you know, that I was was going on at the time. But um, I think I used the tools and techniques that I learned in that Master's every day. Um, you know, I, I say it all the time, the, the rink is my classroom. Um, and so when you're planning your practice, I see it similar to a teacher planning a lesson plan, uh, which I, you know, had the opportunity to do as a student teacher in that program. Um, and, and the development that's so that's the buzzword development, right? In oh, coaching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but it's a well thought out plan. And if you think of your season that way, um, you know, you can be super organized in what you're doing from a practice standpoint and what you're trying to teach. Um, but I think everybody knows great teachers in their lives. Uh, the lessons that you learn in their classroom go well beyond the books. And I think that's the same as in coaching, right? Uh, it's not, it's not all about X's and O's. You could be the best hockey mind, but if you can't connect, you can't relate to your players if, if they don't trust you, if they don't feel that you love them, uh, you only get so far. So I think uh, they go hand in hand in my book. 
Yeah, for sure. Maybe what are some of those things in terms of the relationship building that you have learned throughout that process, whether it was during your master's program when you were learning about teaching or just in your experiences uh, moving up the ranks as a coach as well? Um, you know, relationship building is, like you said, it's everything. So what are some maybe some tips for, for that that we can use? Yeah, just a reminder that everybody's different. So um, when you're communicating with your group, understanding the different learning styles, you know, that was huge in my master's program. You know, you've got the, the auditory learners that, that can listen and go do things. You've got the visual learners that can watch you draw it on the board um, and go do it. And then you've got the, the action learners that need to do it themselves. Um, so I think that's always uh, a great reminder that, Hey, you could drop the greatest drill on the board, feel like you explained it really well. And a third of your group still won't get it until they get to go through it. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think just treating each player as an individual, um, is, is critical. Obviously you're going to have your team message. You're going to have your culture and your beliefs, but when it comes to connecting, um, understanding that everybody's a little bit different and taking the time to get to know them, know what they care about. And, you know, a, a huge piece of coaching is finding out what motivates them. So those are some, some key pieces I would say. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, one of the things that you mentioned there is the, the kid's capacity to learn. And that's something that I've been diving into a little bit. And if you listen, so some of the people that we really respect on this podcast, so guys like uh, Ryan Hardy, Daryl Belfry, we haven't had him on, but he talks about it all the time. Adam Nicholas, they talk about like the elite players have a really unbelievable capacity to learn. And uh, one of those things, and that's something in, in my experience, some of the best players that I coached, you tell them to do something once and it's done and you mm -hmm. never have to tell them to do it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wondering from, from your standpoint, maybe it's something that you learned in your master's program or something that you, uh, that you've learned from experience. Is there any way as coaches that we can really like help our kids to, to get more of that capacity to learn? So we are, you know, basically telling, and maybe it just is as simple as finding out how they learn and then doing it more like that. So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I have a growth mindset, so I would hate to say no. They, <laughs> there's no capacity for learning because <laughs> you know there certainly is, and you have to uh, find the ways to do it. And I think that's one of the you know challenges with coaching is pushing your elite players to become more elite. Um, and and how do you do that? It is finding out what you know what their interest is. So. You know, just thinking back to some of my top players, some of them love video. Um, so then with them, you know, you can send them more clips, maybe be more specific about what you're doing from a individual video standpoint, as well as team video standpoint. Um, you can put them into a leadership role where maybe they're teaching others um, some of the systems because they're really good at it. And then when they have to be in that coach teacher role, they sort of have to see things from a different perspective. I think some great players too, though, um, do need to do it themselves. You know, they do uh, need to go through the, the motion of actually doing the drill or taking the shot or honing in on whatever you're trying to focus on. And that's okay too, because I think the more um, variety you have, the better, because like I said, everybody's a little bit different. So if your star players are all, 
you know, really into <laughs> the analytics and really into video, then if I'm a young player with a lot of potential, I might think, oh man, I have to be like that if I'm ever going to be as good as her. Um, so, so maybe, you know, you're better off having a whole bunch of, of types, if that makes sense. So that kid can relate to somebody else like her. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's, let's move on here and, and get to the college hockey stuff because, um, you know, this is a question that we get asked quite a bit by, by people that message us and they want to figure out about the process of, of getting to college hockey for a female. And, you know, you've been doing it for a long time now, uh, two years at Connecticut college, five seasons at UMass Boston as an assistant, five seasons at the dark side. Uh, I mean, Harvard, <laughs> uh, as well before, uh, before going on to, uh, to be the coach there at UMD, um, you know, being on the recruiting trail for, for as long as you have and and really honing in on the process you've recruited some great teams at those spots that you've had what would be some tips or what would be some things that you would tell like if you were sitting in a uh, I'm sure you've been in a bunch of camps and clinics where there's a hundred kids and parents there and they're asking you questions uh, about college hockey what are some of the biggest questions that you get from the kids and the parents and and uh, if you can just enlighten us on some of those things I think that would be great yeah, I think first and foremost, they want to know where do they need to go? You know, what showcase, what tournament, what camp do I need to <laughs> sign my kid up for to get the most exposure? And my answer is and always has been be selective. Um, don't try to sign up for everything because it's it's a waste of money. Um, plus, you're just watering down your kids' <laughs> opportunities. So be selective in, in where you're going to go. I think with the recruiting rules that have changed on both the men's and women's side, that university camps are, are becoming more prominent. Um, so that's a good way. If you have a couple schools or maybe more than a couple schools that you're interested in, they do a camp. That's a good way to get to know the coaches, get to know their players, really get a look at their, their culture and their school. Um, I think there are some, you know, marquee events over the summer. Normally the summer is a little weird, <laughs> but normally there are some marquee events that you want to participate in, but again, not too many. Um, and I, I think, you know, still on the women's side, the USA hockey process, um, is a really strong one for building towards our U18 program. So, you know, you'll start in your districts and, and move your way up. And <clears throat> if you're advancing through those camps, um, you should have a good sense of where you stack up against the best kids in the country. Um, and I think college coaches also use those camps as a, as a great resource. So if you're at the top, you know, select camp in the summer, that's a pretty good sign that you're one of the top players in the country. And I think, um, you know, you'll see that by who's in the stands and uh, who you're playing with, because a lot of those kids are thinking about the same schools you are have already committed. So uh, that's the first question is where, where should I go? Um, I think another popular question is how do I communicate with coaches? How do I let them know I'm interested? And I think, <clears throat> again, within the rules, it's, it's really helpful when it's kind of like communication, right? It's a two-way street. So, Yes, we want to recruit kids, but we also want to be recruited as, you know, hockey coaches and, and recruiters. So let a school know if you really like them. You know, if you're 
if you're dying to be a, a whoever it is, whatever school it is, let that coach know and make sure you get important info into if it's an email that you're sending, you know, your grad year, your position, your GPA, maybe some good stats. It doesn't have to be super long because you know, everybody's attention spans. Please, dear God, do not make it long. The longer it is, the less we're probably going to look at it. (laughs) Bullet points would be great. And only bullet the good thing. You know, (laughs) marketing 101, you want to keep it uh, positive, but honest too. So find the good things. Um, If you do have the opportunity to get on a phone with a coach, please be prepared. Um, again, we want it to be a conversation, not a one way where I'm talking at you and I feel like I have to sell my school. I, if I'm going to get on the phone with somebody, I want to have a great chat and the people that stand out are the ones that bring the energy that are prepared with a couple questions and have done some research. I don't, I don't expect you to know, you know, every detail about the hockey program or school, but a little bit of knowledge going into those calls, I think goes a long way as a coach when I pick up the phone. That makes so much sense. And uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now, I do this 10 question series on YouTube mm-hmm. and uh, we did one with uh, three assistant coaches in on the men's side, uh, Benny Sire from Cornell, Todd Connaught from Mankato and Steve Miller from Ohio state and, and killer mm-hmm. said something really profound. He's like, I got to like talking to you if I'm going to recruit you. Yeah, and it goes back to what True. you were saying. Like, if you just call up a coach and you just like don't say anything and you're a stick in the mud, it's like, I don't know. That doesn't make me excited on the other lo- on the other side of the line. And he's like, I just if I go down and talk to you after a game or if I'm talking to you and I just I don't think I don't really like talking to you or you're saying things you're cocky or conceited or whatever it may be, I'm not going to recruit you. So I think it's really interesting that you were kind of. I feel like you were saying something kind of similar with what you were going with. Yeah, I mean, we're putting in a lot of effort, you know, taking out the time to to pick up the phone and call you or spend time with you and your family on a Zoom call, whatever it might be. So, you know, yeah, bring it. (laughs) This is a great (laughs) opportunity, you know, sit back and think about this. You're on the phone with a with a college coach. What an unbelievable opportunity. So go into it like you're going into the SATs or you're going into a test or you're going into your your championship game, go in prepared, ready, um, ready to impress. And, you know, cause that's how I go into my phone calls. I don't just pick it up and, and float, float through it. I, I have a plan. I have things I want to talk about. I have things I want to gain from that call. So uh, when you get somebody like that, it makes a huge impact and um, it makes you want to pick up the phone again. And it makes you want to go out and watch them play and learn more about them and learn more about their family. I love that. That is such good advice. I think that's such good advice for young coaches too, getting into the business, like that 15 to 20 minutes before you call somebody, or maybe not, that might be a little excessive, but having a a plan and being prepared to call kids on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just pick it up and just expect to have a good conversation that hardly, hardly ever happens. (laughs) Well, and I, I do think the recruiting rules that have changed just, you know, delaying the start of when we can communicate with kids. So it's after sophomore year on the women's side. So June 15th, after sophomore year, we can start communicating with them. And I think, you know, this will be our, our first year really going through that cycle and, for me and I think a lot of coaches, we are excited to just talk with a more mature, more prepared 
um, high school kid versus, you know, the really young ones that are so petrified to be on the phone and you can't blame (laughs) them because they're not on the phone with many people in the first place other than maybe mom, dad, and their grandparents. So all of a sudden, you know, you try to get into the mix and it's scary for them. And I think we understand that. Um, So we're looking forward to just having a, an older player. Um, But to your point about young coaches, I think that preparation is huge. And I think understanding that the coach sort of sets the table for how the call is going to go. So you also need to bring the energy if you expect to get it back from, you know, a high school aged person. So, so you're saying that uh, calling six-year-olds isn't as fun when, when you know, two years ago when college hockey started recruiting people in the, in the womb? Yeah, you know, your conversations are a little bit different. There's only so many topics you can cover there. Thank God. That's funny. Yeah. Well, well, I'd love to actually, as we were talking about this, I'd love to ask you another recruiting question because I've been in youth hockey now for the past four years or so, and I feel like I've learned so much and I would do things a little bit differently if I were to go back and be a college coach. And one of the things that I would do a lot differently is building much more of a relationship with the support network of the kids and rather mm-hmm. just focusing on the kids because it's almost like it stresses the kids out. The recruiting mm-hmm. process just stresses them out. And the minute that they get to tweet out or put on Instagram the spot that they're going, it's almost like this huge weight lifted off their shoulders. And and I'm not even sure if necessarily most of the kids are actually excited to go to those schools or just excited to get this stupid process over. And so I, I don't, do you see that at all in, in your recruiting? Because I feel like I've seen that so much and the kids are like, what, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. Whether it's the parents or the advisor or whatever it may be. Is that something that you're seeing as well? hundred percent, hundred percent. And it goes back to, you know, the communication. I, I honestly think, and you probably know it being a youth coach, kids don't talk on the phone that much. No. They text, <laughs> they, they tick tock, they, they do whatever <laughs> else, but a lot of their communication is nonverbal. Um, so they hate getting on the phone and they're just a little uncomfortable and awkward. And I, you know, I'm aware of that going in. So, you know, you almost try to overcompensate for that as a, as the adult in this situation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's long been a belief of mine and I'm sure many, many coaches that recruiting the whole family is really important. Um, not only to help, you know, the, the person that you're recruiting figure out what's, what's best, but also, as a coach, you get to learn so much more about that person through their parents and their siblings and, you know, guidance counselors or advisors on the, on the men's side. Um, you just get, it gets colored in the, the story of that, that person that you're, you're watching out on the ice that you're, you know, really falling in love with as a player. And, and then you start to meet the parents and you're like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. Their values match up with ours. You know, work ethic is important to them. Um, you know, just little details. I think when, when kids have jobs that shows some level of responsibility, maturity, independence, um, things like that. So including as many people as possible, I think is really important to, uh, both sides, you know, both the the player and the coach, because the player feels like you're really invested when you start calling around to, to different people in their lives. Um, and, and like I said, as a coach, you just get a more complete uh, picture of what you're, what you're recruiting. 
Totally, totally. And you did an amazing job building some teams at, uh, at Harvard. Um, <laughs> but uh, one, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you about your, uh, your time there is you had a really interesting situation where you were an associate coach and then your head coach for one year uh, left the program to go coach the Olympic team. So you went from the associate coach to the interim head coach. And uh, that's something that I think every assistant coach dreams of is like what you would do if you became the head coach of a team someday. And, and, uh, but it's just a, a much different situation for you because you were actually taken over as the head coach just for a year, knowing that, mm -hmm. that, uh, coach stone was coming back. So what was that experience like for you kind of taking the realm as the interim head coach? And, and what did you learn in that process as you were going through it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an unbelievable opportunity and, you know, one that, that Coach Stone and I had talked about for years, assuming, hoping that she was going to become the Olympic coach. So we had a, a plan in place, um, and I think that, that helps, too, when you can sort of plan and envision what that might be like, even though once, once I was in it, you know, you can't plan that much for it because, <laughs> you know, when, when such an important figure in Harvard hockey's history, uh, is, is not around, you know, coach stone has been at Harvard for 25 years. She is a legend. Um, so when she's not around, then you lose three of your top players to that same Olympic team. Um, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting year, but for me and those players that were on that team, what a great opportunity, um, an opportunity for them to step into some shoes that they weren't able to fill before, um, to prove themselves. And, and frankly, the same for me. And I think having that one year window was, was pretty fun too, because, you know, it's just a different mindset. It's just, Hey, what can you do with this group of kids? then maybe other people are doubting a little bit because the big names aren't here. Uh, what can you do with them? And, and what can you do as a coach? This is your opportunity. You are at Harvard. I know you call it the dark side, but I, <laughs> I think of it a pretty highly, uh, highly regarded place and uh, just a, a dream come true really. And, you know, that year was, was amazing. You know, we, we, we made it to the uh, quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament, lost to Wisconsin in a great game, tight battle 2-1. I still remember it um, like it was yesterday. And, and <clears throat> to follow that up the next year with Coach Back and the Olympians back to make our national championship run, it was really kind of like a fairy tale. And without that experience, um, as the interim head coach, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So I couldn't be more grateful for that time. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That must've been an incredible experience to be able to do that. And, and, uh, certainly I'm sure helped you in your experience and, and getting to UMD and getting that job. What was that, uh, process like in interviewing for a head coaching job? Because, um, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago and ended up on the East coast and two very different places. I feel, I feel like it was a culture <laughs> shock a little bit when, uh, when I moved out East. Um, but you know, taking that experience that you had at Harvard and, and going out to Duluth, um, great city and all that kind of stuff. What was that process like interviewing for that job? And, uh, and what's it been like so far as, uh, as the coach there, the Bulldogs? Yeah, it, it was fast. That's the first word that comes to mind. I played in the or coached in the national championship game on a Sunday in Minneapolis, 
flew back to Boston Monday with the team, had a phone interview, I believe, that afternoon, and flew back to Minneapolis Tuesday on like, you know, a 5 a.m. flight or something ridiculous. But, you know, um, you got to do it. And then I interviewed up here, like I said earlier, or maybe that was offline, but uh, that was my first time in Duluth um, and interviewed for two and a half days or so. Flew back to Boston, uh, talked it over with my wife and accepted the job, I believe, the the Sunday. So it might have all happened in like a week. Wow. So, so that was that was probably the wildest, most wild time in my life. But that that's one thing I think young coaches that want to be head coaches have to think about is is things that can happen really quickly and you have to be, you know, ready, ready to go, ready to move. I think that that's one thing that I'm proud of is, you know, there aren't many like you were talking about. <laughs> there aren't many Easterners out here in the Midwest coaching or vice versa. <laughs> um, so, you know, but for me, it was my dream job, but, you know, to coach the UMD Bulldogs and the WCHA to be a division one head coach, it's an unbelievable opportunity and you have to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. And, um, and I'm so happy that I did because it's been a great decision for me. That's unreal. And uh, one of the things that you were able to do in your time there so far is uh, you were able to provide the biggest turnaround in Bulldog history for their women's program from a win-loss standpoint. And I think that's a really incredible thing. And, and I wanted to ask you maybe one or two things that you thought led to that turnaround from, from going to, towards the bottom to, to where you guys ended up being at the, uh, towards the top in, in WCHA, which is an incredible conference in women's hockey. Um, what do you think led to, to that turnaround that you guys had? It's uh, such a fun year to think back on. Um, I think the culture, and I know there are buzzwords in hockey, but really establishing my culture in year one, actually day one on the job, just sitting down and getting to know all the kids that I was going to inherit. And, um, you know, like we talked about before that relationship building, I think that that helped me and it seems so simple, but it was not a given, not, not everybody does that. And that meant a lot to them. Um, and I think there were a lot of kids. I had some great talent, um, and just some untapped resources on the team that really blossomed um and so the first year that I was there it just took a little while you know you got to get used to the new coach the new culture the new style of play and figuring everything out on both sides me too figuring out this league these teams these coaches these kids um this university and then um you know year two I just I just think everybody felt (laughs) a lot more comfortable. I think those guys on that team, especially the senior class, I had a remarkable senior class. I think they had something to prove. I think they probably felt that there was a lot of unfinished business in their careers and they wanted to go out with a bang and, and boy, did we ever, um, just, you know, a top three Patty Kazmaier finalist. And it's just, you know, incredible the season that she had and, and a bunch of others. So, I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint, but I do think, you know, the, the culture piece, the relationship building, the, the real hunger from the kids that we had in the group and uh, a really talented senior class. That's what I would probably point to as, as why we had so much success. Yeah, for sure. We, we talk about it all the time, Vex, like, 
as a coach, if you don't have that senior class or that secondary leadership, it doesn't matter how much talent you have in your room, like you're, you're done. <laughs> you have no chance yep. if, uh, yep. if that older group. So how did you, you said that, you know, I think it starts with the recruiting process and bringing in the right kids and stuff, but how do you go about building that leadership group and making sure that that group, uh, is buying into what you're doing and, and really leading the team from the front? Yeah, I think usually players emerge, um, you know, whether they're sophomores, we just graduated a, a three-time captain. Um, so sometimes they emerge early, um, but they usually, you know, come to the forefront for, for the teammates and, and coaches as, as leaders, but it's not done there necessarily. You can have those natural leadership abilities, but I think you still need to work just like coaches. We still need to work on, on getting better every day. So spending time. Um, we do captain's meetings once a week, whether we're, we're reading books. Uh, we read dare to lead by Brené Brown this year as a group and talked a lot about vulnerability and Love that. communication and, and just those, that side of things. Sometimes, you know, D1 hockey players aren't thinking about that stuff a whole lot, but boy, does it make a difference in the locker room when you start thinking about those things, especially as leaders. So I think when coaches have a really good relationship with those leaders and work with them on a frequent basis, <laughs> um, it helps a ton. I think your other players see that buy-in um, that you're getting from, from your leaders and they want to follow suit. So um, it's, it's a work in, in progress though. Like I said, even if you have those natural abilities, I think that being a liaison between the coach and the rest of the team is so important and having the right people in those spots is huge. Um, and I've had years where that's not always the case and then it's a little different and is it harder? Yes. But I think, you know, the reward is maybe down the line. So maybe you have younger leaders in a certain year just for whatever reason, and maybe they take a little while to get there, but down the line, boy, they become really great leaders. So, well, Let me ask you this about leadership, because Toph and I are always talking about that, but this is something I don't think we've ever asked anyone. And obviously to a point, like you're, t- you're saying that you're, you're having your captains read books, how much of leadership do you think is innate and how much can be taught or learned? And then on top of that, because we have a lot of kids that listen, actually way more. I learned over the quarantine that we have way more kids actually listening than I thought we did. I thought it was mainly parents and coaches, but like a lot of kids have been reaching out to me during this time. So kids who want to be leaders, what are some things they should be doing as well? Um, In terms of innate, I think it's a little small percentage, and I think most of it is, is learned behavior from the environment that they grow up in. Uh, the values around their houses uh, at a young age. I think that's where you start to learn, you know, that work ethic piece, like I brought up that, that loyalty piece, um, you know, team first mentality type of things. Those, those habits, those beliefs, I think start when you're young. And I think as the passion grows for the sport, um, those things come with it. So they carry over from, maybe, you know, your parents' values and they become yours. Um, just thinking of, of my captain that just graduated, that three-time captain that I was talking about. I mean, she, her preparation was off the charts. She would shoot, you know, a hundred pucks more than everybody else. Just so she had, you know, and it wasn't to prove anything to anybody else, but that helped her feel prepared. 
Uh, she was a beast in the weight room. I think that's important. If you got to love the weight room. You got to love to, to condition. You've got to love that stuff. And, and it's, you know, that's a learned behavior too. <laughs> Not everybody comes into college loving it, but that's what I'm looking for because I think that's a characteristic that carries over into life. Uh, yeah. I want, I want people that want to be great. They're not necessarily great, but they want it in academics, in the weight room, as a sister, daughter, whatever they are. Um, and so I, I think you have to work on those things. I think they develop it in their home environments. And then it's up to us once we get them in college to continue to work on it. I like that. I like that. I, I think, I think in my own personal beliefs, I think there's a little bit more, innate, uh, skill sets that I've just in my personal, uh, dealings on teams. I think like some guys, and obviously I don't know everyone's upbringing, but I feel like, I don't know, in, inside them, they just like are born to be out front. Um, <laughs> just with some of the yeah. guys that I played with, I mean, I'm not saying that they, they didn't learn a lot of it, but you know, the, the more, you know, I, I talked to Tolf all the time, obviously, and he's always reading leadership books and he was a great leader as as a child, as a teenager, as a college hockey yeah. player. Um, but the more books he reads and the more people, the more people we have on this thing and the more people he works with in the hockey world, he's becoming a better and better leader. So uh, for me, I'd, I'd probably say it's like 50, 50 is where I, 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 think I would I'm, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm so much more on Maura's side. Yeah, of this. You think I mean, so? I mean, you just like, you, you mentioned me, but thank you for, I appreciate the words, but you look at my upbringing though. I mean, come on, like I hit the freaking jackpot, like seriously, between my mom and my dad and uh, my sister and my brothers and our grandparents and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was surrounded by a lot of really, really good people. And, and my parents were very, very conscious about the coaches and very, very conscious about yeah. the people that they surrounded me with, too. And so, may, I mean, maybe there was a little bit born, but I, I, I disagree with you, man. I think... I think a lot more of it was learned than, than you think. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eat it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah think about it. I was going to say like 80, 20, maybe, maybe even less, but yeah. I could, I could go 80, 20. I know what you're saying too. It just seems like some, some kids just have it. Maybe but it's I, just I, they respond better to to those those positive environments than maybe some other kids do. In my thought yeah. process, well, maybe I certainly have. I mean, you can certainly have a kid that maybe was born with that potential and that leadership ability that gets put in a terrible situation, and that mm. type of ability isn't able to come out, or vice versa. You know, you have somebody that was born maybe not with that kind of leadership ability, but they're put in a fantastic atmosphere and environment where the, their natural abilities are, are able to to come out a lot more. I just, I'm the more like nature is is obviously a huge, huge, huge thing, and this this debate mm -hmm. is. Inc I love this debate, but nurture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, with the amount of talent that we had, Jeff, growing up, like if we didn't have the environments that we were put in, I don't think we'd get to where we get to. Oh, I would have got nowhere. <laughs> 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 oh, Honestly, man. I love it. 
<laughs> well, well, Maura, this is a good uh, good time to probably bring up like one of your other I don't want to say jobs, but one of your other big time things that you do is is you're uh, a coach of the USA U18 uh, squad, and you've been able to do some really really cool things when it comes to that. What what's your experience like being able to represent our country as a, as a head coach of the U18s and have some success, win some gold medals? That must be a pretty satisfying feeling, huh? It is. Even hearing you say that, it's like, yeah, wow. It's, it's, been, it's been an unbelievable um, experience and, and process, even getting there, you know, just paying your dues, working those national development camps. I started in Rochester, New York, back when they were there. And then all the girls camps moved to St. Cloud. So I've spent way too many summers, beautiful summer months in, in St. Cloud, sweating it out. But um no, it's been fantastic, and and just being able to coach the the best kids at that age group, you know, it's so fun. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds. It's it's different from college. Uh, they're wide eyed, uh, willing to learn. They're on their best behavior because we have them for a short amount of time. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but they're so skilled and so dynamic, and it just seems like every new birth year that comes through is is more skilled and, and more um, talented than the next. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, the things that they're willing to do that older players won't try. Um, I love that in their youth. Um, and there's nothing like, you know, hearing the national anthem after you win a gold medal. I was just thinking about it. So I have three golds and two out of the three were overtimes against Canada. They oh. can't write up a better story. Um, and yeah, it's just some amazing places. I was in Russia, Japan, Slovakia, and my first one, the first gold was, was in St. Catharines, Ontario. Um, mm. So on Canadian soil, obviously in front of probably the biggest crowd I've ever coached in uh, was around 5,000 for a U18 girls hockey tournament, which is amazing. Um, U.S. Canada heavily, Canadian in the, in the stands and uh, to beat them in overtime in that setting was just uh, it's awesome. It's so fun. And it's so fun when they're that age because their, their happiness is so pure and uh, you know, it's just contagious. So it's been awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Now, how much differently do you coach a team like that? Um, with the youth and with the talent that you're able to have versus coaching uh, a college team at UMD? Are there certain things that you do differently, certain ways that you maybe approach the game or approach the tournament in a, in a, a smaller setting? You know, you're only there for a couple weeks kind of thing. How, how much differently do you feel like you coach in that kind of setting? Yeah, it, it's really different in that the whole process um, is so much about uh, identification, so finding the right players. And messing around with lines, it seems like every day it's <laughs> new lines, new jersey colors, new D partners, just mixing things up to find that that right group to ultimately bring to the world championships in in the winter. Um, and then when when you get there, you're there for about two and a half weeks. So the amount of you know systems and strategy, it's a lot less than what you're used to doing in college because of that short time frame. But again, a lot of the, the cultural pieces are massive. Uh, we're lucky to have really 
uh, consistent coaching at the U18 level. So there is a good culture. There are values that all those kids know about and the coaches know about. Um, but the relationship building is again, huge. Um, because especially in that short, short environment, they want to know that you care about them. Uh, and, and they want to talk to you about stuff other than hockey so that when it is, you know, a gold medal game and maybe you're heading into the locker room before overtime that they're feeling okay. Cause it's very stressful. Everybody's watching now with, with social media and, and the different things as years go on. Um, all their buddies are watching, all their friends, families are watching, um, and, and the pressure is high. So whatever you can do to build relationships with them and actually almost more importantly within the group. So they feel like a family. Um, I think that's probably the most critical piece of all. Um, and that's, that's what's led to a lot of success. Oh, that's so, that's so amazing. And I feel like the U S um, I'm not as familiar with the women's side, but on the men's side, I feel like they do such a good job of that instilling the values of country and duty and, and all that when it comes to these international competitions. And now that we have the NTDP on our side too, you know, those kids, it's been ingrained in them for two years. And if you look at our world, even our world junior team, um, quite a few of the kids came from the NTDP. You look at, uh, uh, the Halinka tournament and, or not the Halinka tournament, but the U18 worlds at the end of the year, it's, it's that NTDP mm-hmm. team that's gone for two years years and um just that that sense of like just pride in your country is that something mm-hmm. that you guys really really try to instill as you're doing your your, your two-week team building type stuff yeah yeah and it you know that part actually isn't that tough to instill because it's such an honor to make it to that level um and they know it so that it, it's almost like they want that. They want to hear about the pride, the honor, the, the sense of duty. Um, and I think that's great. I, I would also credit the, you know, Olympians and senior national team players with imparting their, their experiences and their passion for USA hockey on the U18 group. So um, I think that connection with the older players who have been through it, it has been huge. And, you know, the, the U18s, those are their idols. So to have somebody like that, we've had someone, uh, we've had Brianna Decker. She was my assistant coach for the last two years um, to have her on staff in the locker room, talking to these guys. It's, it's just amazing. You know, you see their eyes. It's, they'll, they'll run through a wall for her. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those women and what they're doing right now, I, I think it's so, so, so valuable in, in growing the women's game. And, um, we've had Nick Hensley on the podcast. We've talked to Kendall Coyne mm-hmm. and Melissa Gallardi. People have grown up through the U S, uh, U.S. national teams and stuff. And I feel like they feel like it's such a duty for them to leave. If you talk to any of them, they want to leave the place better than they found it. And I feel like that is such a, such an amazing value that a lot of the the women's national teams, both Canada and the U S they feel like it's their job and a really big responsibility to impart that wisdom on, on the younger generation. And uh, how important do you think that is? Because we've talked about it with some of the other women that we've had on how, um, there's not a lot, it's getting better, but you look at maybe you growing up, there wasn't really many people to see at the higher ages that were like, yeah, I want to aspire to that. 
There was no mm-hmm. professional hockey league. There was no women. I shouldn't say none, but there were very few women that were in coaching. There were very few women coaching at even the youth levels. And I mean, I was even looking at it today. I think it's just over 30% of coaches in division one college hockey for women are actually women. And so, yeah. you know, how much of that responsibility have you seen from some of those older players and, uh, and, and how much of an effect does it have on the younger kids as they're going through to have those role models to look up to? Right. Great point. Um, and it's not a given, I think the their willingness to be accessible to so many young female players is, is not a given and it should be highlighted, highlighted and celebrated because you know, they're professional athletes trying to, you know, organize their their leagues right now and figure that stuff out, but always in the pursuit of whether it's a world championship year or an Olympic year and having, you know, work closely with a lot of them. I know that that is like a full-time job for them. So um, to have them be so willing to, you know, hang out with the U18 group at whether they're working a camp, making an appearance, just speaking to them, as well as girls all over the country from different youth organizations. Um, I, I think it's remarkable. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and what it does is exactly what I was saying before. You know, when you have someone like that in your locker room, who's done it? you know, who's worn the red, white, and blue, who's won a gold medal, who's, you know, had her heart broken in the uniform, you know, has gone through all of those things. These guys are just so fortunate and they know that. And then to be able to like pick their brains on hockey stuff and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, how to score more goals or better hands or entry plays or whatever it might be. I think, um, the time that the older players are willing to put in is, is incredible. And um, it's paying dividends already with uh, the success of both, you know, like you said, U S and Canada, uh, the young players are, are tremendous and uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I got to ask you just in terms of the, the one stat that I laid out there, I think I was going through today as I was preparing for, for talking to you. Um, I was amazed to see how few women's coaches there are that are head coaches of division one women's teams. You know, I think somewhere between, I think it was 32% was the number that I came up with and I'm not a math major, so it's probably somewhere yeah. around there. Do you see that as an issue? And, and if you do, um, you know, what are some ways, because you see it even at the youth levels, I feel like there's women that there's a lot of qualified women that I feel like for whatever reason, don't want to get involved because it's so male heavy and they almost feel like they don't have a, they don't have a voice or they're going to get drowned out. Um, you know, do you see that, that number as an issue and, and what would you do to encourage more women to try to get involved in these leadership type positions? Yeah, I do. I mean, and, and honestly, back in the day, it was actually higher. There were more women coaching Division One uh, women's hockey earlier because I think salaries were not what they are now. So now these are pretty um, attractive positions. And, huh. you know, they, they garner a lot of interest from both men and women. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I want to see more women in coaching. I want to see more head coaches uh, that are female. I think an important part of my job is mentoring young female coaches, um, hiring female coaches when they're good. You know, I think that's important too. It's not to do it just to have the token female on the staff <laughs> who's going to maybe 
you know, take care of the girls and the academics. No, I, I want coaches. I want people that want to do it all. And I think it's my responsibility to make sure that they do it all, that they're growing um, in the X's and O's department, that they're growing in their relationship building and, and the whole gamut of coaching so that when an opportunity opens up, they're prepared. Um, so that's on, that's on me. That's uh, something that I take really seriously. And I think at the youth level, you're right. You know, there are a lot of capable uh, females that might shy away from it because of all the, you know, the negative stuff that's coming out of it. Um, but I think you, you almost have to ask them to do it a lot. A lot of women, I think, just want to be asked um, versus maybe raising their hand and saying, I'll do it. Um, but they're, they're just like, you know, their foot's tapping under the desk, like, oh, somebody asked me to do it and I'll do it. Um, so I think, you know, kind of forcing them into some of these roles would get more, more females in it. And I do agree. I think it has to start at the, the youth level and, um, why I think that's important is so that young female hockey players have female coaches growing up, not just when they get to college, cause that's a, it's a big shift, you know, just the, the style, the voice the way that they've been coached all along to then have their first female when they're 18 years old, that's way too late. Yeah, for sure. Well, I even seen it at, uh, like with our organization, we hired uh, a girl named T- Taylor Cianfrano. You prim- you yep. know every girl ever, I'm sure, <laughs> that's come through <laughs> in the job that you have. Um, but, uh, you know, we hired her to be our coach for our 12U team. And so she came out and she ran a clinic. And it was absolutely incredible to see how excited these girls were that they had a women coach that was running the clinic. I mean, the, the attitude and the, just the excitement that they had to, to finally have a woman there to tell them how to do the drills and all that kind of stuff, especially someone like Taylor that played on national teams and, and played division one college hockey and all that kind of stuff. Like you talk to the parents afterwards and you talk to the people that helped set the clinic up clinic up. And they, they said like their, their daughters never had so much fun in, in a clinic before. <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of that had to do with Taylor doing a good job, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they, a lot of the girls from around here anyway, they've, they've never had women's coaches before. And, and to your point, I mean, that's got to be such a different thing to finally hear a voice like that that's like their own to be able right. to coach them. It's crazy. Well, it's, right. it's, like, it's like you said, yeah. Toph, like or, 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 you want to be able to look up to somebody that you're similar to and is like, oh, you've been there. Like it just helps so much. And we say all the time, you don't need to have played at higher levels to be a coach, but it definitely helps for somebody around an organization to be kind of like that beacon of, of hope. Like, Hey, like you were, you were where I am at one point, I can be where you are at one point. So I think that's, it's so massive to have those examples. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause you don't, you know, they might not even be thinking about it. So many people aren't thinking about it. And then when you have that experience, like you were saying with, with TT out there and everybody's like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. It, it makes <laughs> you think about it. Yeah, of course. This, this makes sense that they're having a blast. It's comfortable. It's uh, relatable and it's inspiring, frankly, um, for all those girls. So yeah, I think it's it's really important, and uh, you know, I, I like I said, I think as a D1 head coach, it is my responsibility to to work at it and to talk about it and 
to try to get my players into coaching, whether, you know, they're starting with camps and clinics and things like that, or, um, you know, working with a high school team or eventually a college team. It's, it's important. For sure. Well, I, I feel like in a lot of conversations that I've heard, um, and a lot of conversations that I've had with some of these high level coaches and players, I feel like, a, a um, uh, a a, not a word, but something that comes up, get your words together here, Tof, geez. (laughs) Um, One of of the things that always comes up in the conversation is the next generation. I feel like women at the higher levels of hockey are always talking about the next generation and how important it is to include the next generation of, of girls coming through so they can have the opportunities that may, that maybe they didn't have. And you even look at the, the dream gap tour and and things that are going on right now. These women are putting so much on the line and for really not really much benefit for themselves. It might benefit fed them in a year or two or a couple of years, but a lot of the benefits that they're trying to fight for right now is for that next generation. And I just think that's such an amazing thing. I think I talked about it before, but how women's hockey has really, 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 um, made that an important value for what they doing for what they're doing is, is to leave the place better than they found it. And, uh, I just think that's such an admirable thing. And, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I think people, when they do get initiated into women's hockey, they fall in love with it. Like you even, we've talked I forget who we were talking to Jeff, but it's one of those things where you go and you watch the women play and, and people are like, Oh crap they're really freaking good, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that and, was Nicole with the, with the uh, San Jose Sharks thing where they played against the Sharks alumni, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, I just think it's so cool how, how the women have really taken the bull by the horns and have really talked about making the game better than they found it and uh, just such a cool thing. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a very unselfish, you know, group, uh, unselfish sport, really, and so young and so... The, the sport itself is so young that when they do invest in the younger generations, when we all do, you know, you're actually seeing it in front of your eyes as they grow up through hockey. And, and you know, um, a lot of them are, are heading into high school or college now. So it's happening. And I think that that makes you even more inspired and motivated to invest in, in who's coming up next. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Maura, this has been an awesome conversation. We really, really appreciate your time and, and providing us with some insight into the college hockey game. And uh, you've had such an amazing career uh, and, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck up with their, with the UMD Bulldogs. Maybe you guys can bring home a men, male and female national championship. Cornell was yes. close this year. They ended the I year know. number one and number one. So this is stupid know. coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, there was no playoffs tall easy with the Cornell, Mr. Mr. Big red. Hey, hey, when, <laughs> when do you see the men's team and the women's team, both number one in the country? Oh, that's, that's unbelievable. I'm just giving you crap. So eat it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this was, this was so great. Anything that we can do to, to help you out and, and anything that we can do to continue to help promote the women's game. Um, we, we love to do that. So, Um, Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch at some point in the future. Thank you, guys. This is a lot of fun. All right. Good stuff. We'll talk to you later. Okay.